0: Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I'm your host, Genesis Amaris-Kemp, and with me today is Michelle Oliver. She is an amazing guru in the HR recruitment space, and she's going to get down and dirty with us today about hidden secrets, gems, and all that good stuff. But before we dive in, here's a bit about Michelle. Michelle Oliver offers a unique perspective on career development and job searching with an impressive record of accomplishments on both sides of the desk. She combines over 20 years of experience in HR and recruitment with certifications in career guidance and counseling, and she knows how to meet the needs of both applicants and organizations when it comes to matching talented people with the top jobs. So if that doesn't say enough about Michelle, I mean, she has 20 years experience. It's not, you know, that's not a lot compared to some of the other people, but it is a lot to her. And you're going to find out why, because she is very unique in her space. And whenever she brings it, she really brings it. And as a regular contributor to trusted sources for industry knowledge, including the New York Times, Recruitment.com, and Refinery29, Michelle is a dynamic thought leader and instrument of change in the talent acquisition field. So without further ado, I want to welcome Michelle Oliver to share more about what she does, as well as give us some fun facts of who she is. Hey, Janice, it's nice. Thanks for having
1: me. Quick clarification my last name is Olivier. It's not Oliver, but that's all right. <laughs> it happens all the time.
0: Thank you so much. And I do apologize. So, Olivier. That's okay,
1: that's okay. That's okay. I've been a recruiter for a very long time. And I was on the beta test for LinkedIn back when it was originally launched. So, It's definitely an industry. I know I've worked kind of across sectors. I've done a bit of everything. And then obviously I've also worked in the HR field as well. So I am here to answer uh, whatever you want to know and give you as much of my insider knowledge as as I possibly can. So let's do it.
0: (laughs) Awesome sauce. Ed, so Michelle... Before you started your own company, um, what was your background like and what led you to starting your own company? Did you just get tired of, you know, the corporate life or being in a box or what did that look like for you?
1: So I lived and worked in the UK for 10 and a half years and I've also worked over here. last time I worked for somebody else, I was director of talent acquisition for the YMCA and I left because I made babies. And I am not good at work-life balance. It's some self-awareness that I have. So my version of working part-time was taking 80 hours down to 50. My husband disagreed, as did my medical provider. So I stepped back to make my adorable children. And then I tried to be a stay-at-home mom, and I was very bad at that. So I went back to doing things I'm good at. I think like a lot of women, I spent most of my career being told I was too much. I got told things like, I mean, you're so competent, but you're just not that, you know, nice. No, I am not. I'm not interested in being nice. I'm not interested in your potlucks. I'm not interested in going, you know, all of those types of things. And it was really frustrating And I heard it so many times and I know other women do as well. And I just decided that I didn't want to go back to that. I didn't want to go back to apologizing for being me. I didn't want to go back to trying to conform to what the male-dominated tech sector thought a woman in technology or a woman in business should look like. Um, And so I got together with some other smart, strong women and here
0: we are. That's amazing. And tell us how you came up with the name of your business. It's
1: my last name is Olivier. My husband's last name is Hampson. So H.
0: Olivier and Hampson. Mm-hmm. So H. It's me and him. And then so whenever you left the corporate space and you started on your own and you really just jump started there, what was the hardest thing that you endured? And then what was the easiest? And you'll find out why this is important. sure. So
1: I would say that the hardest thing was, where do you start? My company does both works, what we call both sides of the desk. So we work with individual job seekers, helping them find jobs, get jobs, write resumes, handle LinkedIn, all of that. And then we also help businesses with their recruitment training and business needs. And that's a lot all at once. And so where the heck do you start with that? was really hard. So we chose to start with the B2C work. So helping individual job seekers. And then again, like we could tell you all of the reasons that you shouldn't use other resume writers. There are some that are great that aren't us. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of them out there that you should never give your money to. But knowing that and knowing how to get to tell other people that and being able to have a voice that gets heard was really really difficult and so we tried a bunch of stuff a bunch of it didn't work so much of it didn't work genesis and then we tried some things and some things became passion projects so like my podcast which you were delightful enough to be on with me which was great But so those things have worked, and other stuff like I, you know, position myself to be a bit of a LinkedIn influencer. So I get you know my posts these days get between you know fifty and two hundred thousand views per post. So we get a lot of people who are like, "Hey, you said something sassy and smart. I want to come work with you." Great. So those things have worked really kind of well. But it just takes time, and I'm not a naturally patient person. So. Having to like take time to have that happen in the first few months was, was probably difficult as well.
0: And I like how you talked about the hard things because in life, we're always going to go through hard situations. And sometimes when you are stepping out of a box that is familiar into something that is unfamiliar, it stretches you. But then while it's stretching you, it teaches you more about your personal capabilities, what you're willing to accept, what you're not willing to accept. And you're also growing personally as well as professionally. And I like how you talked about the start ugly because not everything that you try in the beginning is going to work, but it doesn't mean that you can't circle back to it and perfect it. And I like that ONH is full service because you're helping those that are interested in getting back into the work field. And you're also have helping corporations that are interested in seeking the right talent. But you know, one thing that I hate is the ATS system because it looks for certain keywords, which is, oh, and ATS is the automatic tracking system for you listeners and viewers. And me having applied for various jobs where I knew that I met the qualifications, but not even to get a call back or not even to get my resume selected. And I'm like, man, are you hiring me based on the keywords? Or do you want to bring me in to get to know who I am, what I have to offer and how I could be an asset to your corporation's and a lot, I feel like a lot of times people get hung up with the ATS system. Can you talk about that? Or do you agree sure. or disagree? I, I disagree with some of it and I agree with some of it. So
1: first of all, it's not, it's not the automatic tracking it's, system. It's the applicant tracking system. And all an ATS is, is just, that is an overarching term that refers to the databases that hold them. There is of all of the ATSs on the market and there's like 250 of them. The only one that I know of or that any of my colleagues and I know kind of a lot of recruiters have heard of that actually screens out people in the process that you're talking about and that the crappy would-be influencers or gurus will tell you they do, there's there's one. Other than that, it is actually a real-life human being like me who is actually rejecting you. Now, what is true about keywords is that when I go to look for somebody, so when I am searching on LinkedIn or Indeed or any of the places where you upload your resume and then recruiters come to find you, when I go to look for you in those places, I'm using a basic Boolean search, which does look for keywords. So keywords are important by all means, but keywords are not why you're getting rejected for roles that you're applying directly for. The reason you're getting rejected for those roles in general for most people is that recruiters are exceedingly lazy and we went in the first 10 seconds of looking at your resume, we expect it to tell us who you are, what you want, why we care. And if it doesn't, we just say no and move on. And so that's it. So you have 10 seconds to wind up in my maybe pile. And if you're not, you're out. Do I want to talk to people and give them a fair shake? Absolutely but every single person who applies for a job with me is hoping that I'm going to do that for them. Every single person. So if I have a job that is posted and I have 50 applications and I have 20 minutes to go through those 50 applications, every single one of those people is hoping that instead of just looking at their resume and making a a quick decision that I'm going to pick up the phone and call them. And that's not reality-based. Instead... I go through and everybody that immediately in that 10 seconds winds up in the no pile just gets a no. Now they do actually get a no email from me because I'm not a jerk recruiter who ghosts people, but they get a no. And then I spend more time with the other people. And those people are the ones that I do talk to. And I'm like, hey, there's a shade of gray here. I don't understand. Talk to me about this. What I will tell you about that genesis is that I have literally had candidates shout at me. I have been screamed at four times in the last month by candidates who said to me, why are you even calling me if that's a problem? Because I had question, friend, because I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. I thought maybe I was reading something wrong. So rather than me making assumptions, I was trying to help a friend out. But okay, now I am just hardheaded enough that I don't care, right? I've been doing this so long. You can yell at me. That's you having your day. That's not on me. But think about other recruiters, especially when they're newer to the industry, they're not as, you know, hard nosed and grizzled as I am, right? Like you would how many times would you have to get shouted at for doing something before you would just say, screw it, I ain't doing that again? And so that's part of what happens is that if we we get negative feedback, we get people treating us badly for having the temerity to contact them, to have the very conversation that you're asking for. Now, personally, I think that resumes are awful and racist and should be stopped, personally. Personally, I think that the whole system is fundamentally flawed and a fantastic tool of reinforcing white supremacy and the patriarchy. And so all of it needs to be re-examined. And so because of that, I take extra care to make sure that people aren't being excluded because they don't know, nobody's ever told them how to write a good resume. There's so much privilege that goes into having a great resume, right? Like people say to me, oh, well, you know, all of my friends and family that call me, they're like, hey, Michelle, I need some help. I'm like, do you see your privilege? What are the odds that somebody in your family happens to be a recruiter with that much of experience? There are so many families, so many backgrounds where people don't come from recruitment or HR or those types of environments where they're able to help you and give a leg up. And with love and respect to people at the career services at colleges and universities, over 90% of them have never been in recruitment. They took a class one time on how to do this and they took that class in the 90s and it don't look like that no more. So like it's a continual moving target. And if you're not live and in the sector and constantly doing this, your advice is dated. And that's just a fact. And, and that was just... a whole lot of words for me. So
0: yes, it was. And thank you so much for the correction because you corrected me. I learned something new. ATS is applicant tracking system, not automated tracking system. I also learned about the Boolean search that you mentioned. Boolean, yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is it? Boolean? Boolean. B-O-O-L-E-A-N. Boolean. Mm-hmm. Boolean search, where um, that's where recruiters are looking for the keywords to see if your information pops up easily and readily. And then um, Michelle also mentioned that some recruiters are very lazy. So they just toss stuff <laughs> to the side. But I like that your approach that you call people. And I apologize for those who people who have yelled at you and the you last didn't yell month, at me. You're fine. But, so I just think that you people, I think that we are very easy
1: to demonize. And to be completely fair, mostly because we deserve it most of the time. Like, do not get me wrong. Recruiter, I often look around my fellow recruiters and think, what in the hell were you thinking? Ghosting? Because why? There's no excuse to ghost. That's just bad manners. Your mama should not have raised you that way. Right? Like people deserve to be treated fairly. They deserve to be treated with respect, with common courtesy, and honestly, recruiters are bad at doing all of those things. So there is plenty to be mad at us about. Do not get me wrong. But I do think that as a job seeker, it's important that you understand some of the things that we do that are very frustrating to you, but actually have a legitimate reason behind why that winds up happening
0: and thank you for adding that because there's always a why there's always a what and they both have the rhyme and reason and i want to dive further into diversity equity inclusion belonging and equality because that's very important in the recruitment and hr space and in my personal opinion coming from oil and gas and energy for 12 years i feel like some people see that as a check the box and you really don't see it evident in the workplace. And I feel like there are very great candidates out there who suffer because, you know, one, the resume, two, preconceived assumptions, also because people don't really respect other cultures. They don't respect names. You can't help what your parents name you. And I feel like people who have a different name on their resume, sometimes people look at that and that is a form of unconscious biases where they're like, oh, this is probably a black person, an Indian person or Hispanic next, or they look at other things on their resume that will disqualify them versus giving that person a fair chance. So I recently heard someone in the HR and recruitment space talk about ghost resumes where they're taking off anything that could necessarily put an individual in a box.
1: Here's the problem with that. I applaud the enthusiasm, but ultimately, the only thing a resume measures is how much you have been rewarded for playing a rigged game. We know there's institutional racism. We know there's institutional misogyny, homophobia, ageism, all the rest of it. So I can take your name off, but if you never got a chance to go work in a senior level role at Exxon because you were too black for their taste, it don't matter if your name is there if I'm only going to look at people who have worked in a senior level role at Exxon. I'm holding the same standard. I'm just telling myself that I'm doing something because I didn't look at your name. I am still measuring your ability today based on how much you have or have not been rewarded by a system that is rigged against you. And that is where I call BS. The answer on all of it has to be no. My argument is that previous experience within industry, organization, et cetera, is actually a really bad indicator of whether or not somebody, where their skill set is today. We have all worked with people who you thought, how in the hell did that person get a job here? right? Every company has that person that you're all just like, what? How do they get a paycheck every month? I'm surprised they could tie their shoes, but they still have that company on their resume, just like you. And just like you, it's going to, when they go to apply to somewhere else, it's going to say, I worked at I don't, whatever, Google, Google hires idiots just like everybody else sometimes, right? Everybody misfires. And so just because you worked at Google for five years, doesn't mean that you're any good. Maybe you were the crappy guy at Google for five years. So instead of being hung up on how well a bad system has rewarded people, we need to instead shift to finding ways that we can measure how good people actually are and the skills that we're looking for. There are some really exciting changes and shifts being done with this. There's some great companies that I have um, that I'm excited about that are trying to move everybody away from any kind of resume and into a purely skills review system. I totally applaud that. Here's the only problem with that. I have sold clients on that. And I've been like, resumes are racist. Don't be that guy. Try this other thing. Candidates won't do it. I don't want to have to do anything more than send you my resume. Why would I do that? Because resumes are racist and I'm trying to not be that person. What? (laughs) So we have to get buy-in on both sides of the table before we can move the needle.
0: So let's talk about the shifts and the things that are coming up. And let's compare that to the old way of doing things versus the new way of doing things, because you have to bridge the gap, in my opinion, Michelle, and you have to talk about the trends, because we're not trying to repeat history. We're trying to progress and progression over perfection. And we want to ensure that the right people are getting matched up with the right companies. And if not, then they're taking their skill sets and building their own empire and legacy.
1: Yeah. So I think that there's a few things. So I don't want to overstate how far the needle has moved. What has moved substantially is that since about 2019, I never see resumes. The only time I see a resume is if somebody has directly applied for a position that I'm recruiting to. So if you go to the company website and you apply there, it will make you upload your resume. And then, yes, I will see your resume. But other than that, what I see are people's LinkedIn profiles. LinkedIn for professional level work is these days, that is where you get found. That is what my hiring managers are not particularly interested in your resume. Most of them click straight onto your LinkedIn. If it's in tech, they click on your GitHub. They want to see because the idea is that LinkedIn gives a better picture of the overall person, than a resume and because it gives, it has rails, right? So it has a structure and a format. And so you can't like go rogue and do some weird shit on your resume. And you'd be surprised if people do that kind of a lot, Genesis. And so like, it gives you like, you know, you're going to get some basic detail. So LinkedIn, it has, I would say overtaken resumes in terms of the priority within the recruiting world, but resumes and LinkedIn still 90% of the time, that's how you're going to apply for a job. Now, the things that I'm excited about, those other secret, like 10%, that's where my heart is. And those things, there are organizations that are working to do that. So I know um, like the TSA and Walmart is partnering with one of the companies that I really like. And literally, if you want to apply, you go to their website, you click a button, you type in your name. It doesn't have to be your name. You type in a username. So it can be curly haired girl in Houston, 101, right? Or ice cream lover, right? And then you go to their portal and they've set up a series of skills tests that test not only like hard functional skills, like how well do you know Excel, but also... How are you at prioritization and negotiation? How are you at time management? Those types of things. And those skills tests, they then just send me as a recruiter a report that says, Curly Head Girl in Houston 101 scored 98%. Don't you want to talk to her? Yes, I do. Thank you very much. And then I can follow up with you. And then that's how you initiate the process for those organizations rather than looking at something like a static document, like a resume. And then what that does is it lets you have the skills. It measures the skills and the knowledge rather than how well you played a bad game.
0: Wow, I like that because it sounds so refreshing. And what better way to get in the spotlight of somebody who is going to value your skills and the competencies that you bring to the table. And Michelle, I want you to give us some quick tips for something to be on the lookout for with the things that are constantly changing and moving in the HR and recruitment space, and how can these listeners and viewers stand out?
1: So I would say the first thing to do is stop listening to most of the people who call themselves a guru on either Google or LinkedIn. Like, I mean, there's lies, damn lies in Google search. So there is all of this stuff that tells you things like never, you know, never tell them what you're looking for financially. Why? What? Why do you want to waste my time and your time? Don't do that. So in your first conversation with the recruiter, the first time you speak to somebody, you should start that conversation being direct, being open and honest. I am looking, I have a background doing this. I am looking to for a role that uses these skills and I want this price point. Great. If every candidate I spoke to started our conversation, hey, Michelle, nice to talk to you. Boom, boom, boom. Oh my God, my life would be so much better. Because- those are the three things first and foremost I need to know because if I can only pay 150k and you want 500k, there is no point. And all these stupid gurus are like, no, no. Tell them like I can't right now assess whether how much I would expect to perform this role because I don't know enough about the duties. Oh, BS! You know that you're looking for X amount of money and that you're not going to take something for 200k minus X. Like that's just not a thing. I'm not trying to negotiate with you. I'm not trying to make you a final offer. I just want to make sure we're in the right ballpark so we're not wasting each other's time. So having that open and honest conversation about that, about the kinds of duties and skills and that sort of thing that you're looking for, important. This whole mythology about, well, if they really love you, maybe they'll make up a different role for you. My friend, everybody's got a cousin's uncle's brother's friend who had that happen to them one time and now they think that's real. It's not real. 23 years in recruitment. I can count on one hand the number of times that has happened. Has it happened? Of course, but not so often that you should think about that. What does happen is that I as a recruiter can be like, oh, well, hey, I am actually recruiting for these other three roles. How about one of those? But I can only do that if you're honest with me about what you're looking for. And the more of my time... And my clients' time to waste because you didn't want to be forthright about those things, the less likely I am to want to help you out because now I'm pissed off and annoyed. Honesty and transparency are great. The other thing that can really make you stand out ask honest questions. If you want to know something, ask it. People get weird and panicky, feeling like asking questions of recruiters or hiring managers is going to make them seem needy or make them seem too this or too that. Stop. You know what makes you seem? Interested, my friend. Interested. When you are excited about something, that's when you ask questions. We've all seen it a thousand times, right? You say to a kid, hey man, you want to get a pizza? They have questions. Yes, I do, but what's on the pizza? Are we going to the pizza? Is it going to be here? Do we get a pizza in the movie? Right. Like that's how kids do. Adults don't ever change. We're the same. If I come to you with a role that you're excited about, you have questions. If you're like, yeah, sure. That does not feel to me like you're very enthusiastic employers, recruiters are looking for people who are enthusiastic about what they're offering. And then I would say the other thing is, if I tell you that you're not a good fit for some reason, don't take that personally. It's not because I think you're a bad person. I may actually think you're a great person and you're too great of a person for my jerk of a client. I don't know, you don't know, right? But that's it feels so personal and it feels like such a personal judgment and rejection and it's just not. It's just not. People say to me all the time, I hate that recruiters don't give me feedback. Why don't I get feedback? What feedback do you want me to give you exactly? That you were great, but the person next to you had five more years of experience and we decided that that was the value. W- what would you do with that information if you had it? You can't go out and magic up five more years of experience. You didn't do anything wrong. That's not on you. It just so happened that the person sat next to you had something else that after thinking about it, we decided that that was the thing that we valued more. That is more than 80% of the time, that type of thing is what is happening. If you're getting rejected, that's your thing. I know, again, I know, believe me, I get it. It feels so damn personal. But most of the time, the truth is it's not, that there wasn't something magical you could have said or done to have been better, to be good enough that I would have hired you or that the hiring manager would have said, it had nothing to do with you. It had the person, everything to do with the person they talked to later. So I always say to people, you know, if you get rejected, just assume that the boss's nephew needed a job and they gave it to him because you might as well. It's as likely as anything else. So I think in terms of standing out, having that kind of collaborative attitude throughout the process, the kind of realistic expectation that, hey, man, this seems really cool and I'm interested. I have some questions. Let's do this. But I'm not going to be offended and I'm not going to make it weird if I'm not the droid you're looking for. Candidates that behave that way are the candidates that stand out to me that I want to A, I want to have their back and advocate for them through the process. And if this process doesn't work out, I, those are the ones that I'm going to remember and advocate for in a different process on a different day.
0: Wow. Those are some amazing gems that you just dropped there, Michelle. And now I want you to tell the listeners and viewers how they could connect with you on social media, LinkedIn, and your company website. Of I feel like you did a great job of that, Genesis. Those are the places to connect with me. So
1: I would say um, I am always on LinkedIn. Um, I'm sure you'll put in the show notes my LinkedIn. Please feel free to send me a request. I accept all requests and then, you know, unaccept uh, spam. (laughs) So feel free to send them over. And then our company website is just onhconsulting.com and all of our services and everything are there. We do free resume reviews. So if you just need somebody to look at your resume and tell you if that's your problem, we'll do that for free and if you and we'll take, you know, 15 minutes of our time to tell you how to fix it and if that's good enough for you, cool, no charge. We try to be as helpful as possible. If you want me to fix your stuff for you, now I got to charge you. Talk is cheap, so you can have
0: all of that you want. <laughs> And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris 10. You just heard Michelle Olivier with ONH Consulting. And we talked about all things HR, recruitment, how to stand out. Remember, closed mouths don't get fed. You are your biggest advocate. And do something to stand out because if you're not doing it, the next person is. And don't get upset when you don't get the job that you are eyeing for. It all starts with how do you present yourself? Are you consistent? Are you doing something that makes yourself stand out and level up in, in front of your competitors and et cetera? And don't allow rejection to sour your mood and attitude. Just take no as next opportunity or new opening and know that those closed doors can very well be a redirection of your purpose and your passion to secure something better in the future for you. Not all closed doors are a bad thing, but they actually set you apart and they actually put you in a place where you will be more susceptible to achieving something that you ultimately wanted. Because in life, we don't always get what we want, but we get what we need in the season that we're in. So let that marinate. And until we next time. Peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. And don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to another segment of Gems Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS podcast on your audio platform as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S with WITH Genesis GENESIS Amaris AMARIS Kemp. K-E-M-P at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on Gems Podcast.